Thank you for tuning in to my podcast, Enforcing Purpose with Lisa Schwartz. For more information or to keep up on current events and products, please go to my website at www.lisa-schwartz.com. So let's let, let me start by reading the passage for this weekend, but I'm going to read more than just verse one. I'm actually going to read on so that we can see where are we going with this passage in Isaiah 60 verse one. It says, arise, shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you for behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness, the people, but the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. See, we see a progressive thing going on here that if we understand what we have been given, the glory of the Lord, the light of God shining upon us, the very person of God living and breathing within us, his character, his image, his likeness. We have our why that causes us to leap up and rise up and shine. And the automatic outcome of that is darkness will be pierced because of the glory of the Lord that is upon us. See, last night we talked about how there is an establishment. The establishment of the Lord is not a negotiable. There is a thing that has been established in your life, and that is that the light of God has come. The glory of the Lord is upon you, and it's not negotiable. God hasn't changed his mind. He hasn't rewritten the word. There is only one variable in your life, and that variable is you. See, only you hold the authority to open or shut the glory of the Lord within you. Let me tell you something. Satan has power, but he has no authority. He may hold the same amount of power as you have, but he doesn't have the authority that you have. In the very beginning of time, God is continuously speaking over his people, blessing them with dominion upon the earth. Because he says, I've given you the authority. So when we're talking about all the enemy is doing in our lives, guess what? You've given him the authority. Because God's promise is not a negotiable. It's not a variant. It's not shifting like the shadows. But it is a constant in our life. His light is continuously shining upon us. His glory is constantly within us. And when we learn to tap into that, stay in that place, abide in the vine, that word abide there means I'm going to remain. I'm going to tarry. This is my sweet abode. This is where I stay. This is where I reside. This is where I I tarry. I'm not going to leave this spot. When I learn how to remain in that place, you can't help but see the glory I had the opportunity to minister in a church last week that's just kind of starting to come into the wave of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, well, first one lady came forward and I ministered to her and, and, and she fell out. And so the person behind her kind of freaked out and was like, is she okay? What's happening? And kind of was second guessing whether or not she wanted prayer. And, and so, so I said, it's okay. Just have a seat. Cause I didn't want her to be so freaked that she didn't receive. And she came forward and she did not tell me this, but I began to minister to her and I began to minister to places of regrets and places of, of deep conviction in her life. And she immediately, her eye opened up like this. And I said, what's, what's going on? She said, I've had a migraine for days and it literally just left. Like just now, just left. It just, and the lady was private messaging me for three days, still freaking out because she couldn't figure you, you know, cause you By the way, she sees all my private messages, so uh, I don't really actually run my own social media. And so, but I, but she was like, Hey, you've got to get into this. And so I'm, I'm looking at it and she's freaking out, right? Because the glory of the Lord, she came into the glory. She tucked herself in and then the glory hit her. There was a manifestation that she couldn't explain. And she kept wanting me to explain it. Then she said, I told my mom standing next to you is like being next to Jesus. And I said to her, that's the anointing. That's the glory of the Lord. And it should be like that. That shouldn't shock us when somebody says that. We should be such a carrier of his presence that the minute I step into the room, there's a rumbling that begins to move down the aisle. Come on. That should be our normal. 
I can't help but think about the transfiguration of Jesus. Man, God's been messing me up with this passage. And how he stood before the disciples. And it's like he was just sliced open and and flipped himself inside out and said, Let me show you what's inside of me. Let me show you what's going to be inside of you. That's the glory of the Lord. That when we're willing to be turned inside out, completely undone, exposed, vulnerable, transparent, that there is a light that is so illuminating people can't stand it. That's the glory of the Lord. See, Jesus wasn't just saying, look at what I got that you'll never have. He was like, let me show you. What's do you? What's coming? When the Holy Spirit comes rushing into you, you may not ever see it, but let me show you what it looks like. That's what this passage is talking about. Behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness, but God, the Lord, arises on you, and his glory will be seen. Upon you. Listen, are people seeing his glory on you? Are you giving them something to talk about? When they're around you, are you talking about the glory of the Lord? Are you a display of the glory of the Lord? Are you, are you more than just words? You can just stand there and people can feel it. They can sense his presence resonate. You know, the, I know y'all know those people. I don't know what it is about her, man. When I'm around her, whoo, I just get the chills and the wiggly gigglies. We know those people. We love to be around them. We love their countenance. And conversely, we say we also know the opposite. We all know a lot of believers that we just don't want to be around them. I tell my children all the time, there are two people in life. There are fountains and there are drains. There are fountains and there are drains. Which one do you want to be? Okay, and I'm just, I'm, I'm not a powder puffer, I'm a prophet, so I call it like I see it. There are fountains and there are drains, and you're either one or you're the other. But sometimes we're dying of thirst. We haven't been saturated in the oil. And we're sucking from other people's oil. We're sucking from their, we're living our lives off of the lives of other, riding on the coattails of their faith, riding. I mean, come on, Patrice, aren't there days where you feel like you're literally trying to drag people to the holy of holies? Man, that's an exhausting job. I feel bad for some uh, praise, praise and worship leaders. I'm like, man, this is a tough crowd. You're like, I'm trying to, but can you imagine if we all spent our week filling ourselves up with praise and worship and then we came in here, brought it all together, the explosion that would take place? She wouldn't have to spend 20 minutes just getting you there. Come on now, I, I'm talking to myself. There are times when it takes me 10 minutes just to quiet my stinking mind. But if I never came out of that place, come on. I had somebody ask me the other a uh, couple of months ago, do you ever, um, do you ever just, uh, do you literally just put on the armor of God every morning? Like, do you literally just kind of go through that? And I just looked at her and I said, baby, I don't ever take it off. You don't ever take it off. It is on. It's staying on. It's glued to me. I'm not taking it off. I took it off once and it wasn't a good deal. It was not a good deal. Don't take it off. The Bible says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. See, this is what it's saying. Let, let your light, what light? The light that is upon you. What, what light? The light that is upon you. See, he's not saying I have to try and muster up a light of my own. It's not talking about working to become a light. It's saying there is a light that has come. There is an establishment. Let that light shine out of you. But you know what? Most of us, a lot of us struggle to sense, to be in that light, to come into the fullness of that light, the encouragement of the light. We spend our life in the dark. I remember, I remember being in a place of clinical depression and I loved to stay in bed with the covers over my head because life seemed easier to deal with in the dark. Boy, was I deceived. 
Life seemed easier to deal with alone. Boy, was I deceived. See, the enemy wants to isolate you. He wants to keep you in the dark. I love that you talked about connection. And man, that is the heart of God is for us to connect one to another. Because in connection, there's freedom and it is vulnerable. It is vulnerable, but without vulnerability, you won't connect. And without connection, you haven't tapped in to the very purpose of our creation. Is that we would connect first and foremost with God, that we would be connected with ourselves. Come on, now I'm going to talk to you a little bit today about how do I connect with me? Because some of us spend so much time connecting with others, we're avoiding connecting with what's going on here and certainly what's going on here. We act like everything's fine by connecting this way, and that way I can avoid connecting this way and certainly taking a good look inside of me. And can I tell you that I think the church has inadvertently, not intentionally, inadvertently taught us that. Taught us that to connect with God, we've got to minister to people. Not my Bible. The Bible that I read in the Old Testament, all the priests ever did was connect with God in the tabernacle. Ministered to God day after day, never letting the light go out, making sure the oil was replenished, keeping the wick trimmed, tending to the presence of God. The presence of God would come and would reside in the tabernacle, and then the presence of God out of the tabernacle ministered to the people. Come on now. We're talking about a prophetic picture of you and I as the tabernacle of God. That within us, we spend day after day cultivating the oil of the lamp, keeping the wick trimmed, making sure the presence of God is continuously stirred up so that the presence is always hovering upon us and in us, rushing out of us. And that is the presence that ministers to the people around us. You got to get this because I'm telling you, I'm giving you freedom to stop ministering to people on your left and your right and start ministering to God, ministering to you and let his presence minister out of you. The pressure's off ladies, the pressure's off because otherwise we get exhausted, tired. We become like Martha, angry and bitter at the Marys. She was angry and bitter. The Bible actually says your heart is disquieted. You're anxious and troubled. Anybody feel any anxieties? Anybody feel troubled lately? Anybody feel overwhelmed by all the things you need to do? Tuck yourself back into the presence of God. Minister to him and to him alone. The Bible says, you are the light of the world. A city is the city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they place it on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. We're talking about what's already been established. There is already a light. Everybody say, I have the light. The glory of the Lord is upon me. Come on. I'm going to teach you how to declare this word. Can we just do this? Here we go. The Bible says, arise and shine. Now I want you to say, I am arising. I am shining because God's light has come upon me. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon me. Okay, that's your truth. Is that the reality that all of us are living? Maybe not. But it's your truth. And here's what I know, that the word of God is what transforms, what changes, what shifts, what rearranges. And you can't declare that over your life on a daily basis and not eventually come into it. If you say that is true for you, you're not doing it right. I'm just going to tell you that because if you work the word, it will work for you. It will transform things in your life. It will pull truth. We say faith it until you become it. Faith it. Just, and I'm not saying fake it. Okay. Cause we're not negating that there's a reality that we struggle with. If you struggle with clinical depression, don't act like you don't, but also don't claim it as your truth. Please don't say I have, I am, I, when you make an I am statement, you better make sure you're speaking truth over yourself. You better make sure you're speaking truth over yourself. It's okay for me to say, man, I'm really challenged today with the spirit of darkness. 
But God says, there is a light upon me and the glory of the Lord has risen upon me. You see what I just did there? Four steps. If you all have a piece of paper, I'm going to teach you for a minute. If you have a piece of paper, I want you to write this down. Any given time, I want you to define what you're feeling or thinking. You're going to define what you're thinking or feeling. Can I just tell you for women, sometimes that's 85% of the problem. We don't know. I don't know. If you don't know, pull out your phone, pick an emoji. Which emoji am I feeling right now? Okay. That will help you. I'm giving you practical tools that I counsel kids. This is what we do. And I've started doing with adults, especially men. <sighs> Cause a lot of times they don't know what they're, what they're feeling or thinking. Number two, identify what triggered it. When did this start? What was happening? What was the open door? Identify what triggered it. Number three, decide what you want to do with it. I have given them power that they can take up serpents with their hands. Hey, guess what, anger? You don't get to handle me. I get to handle you. Hey, guess what, depression? I see you. I can define you. I even know when you started. But here's the deal. You don't get to decide what to do with me. I get to decide what to do with you. That's what that passage is talking about. You can take up a serpent. You know, you can take, take up a thought and drag it in line with scripture. That's what Paul is talking about when he says every high thing that exalts itself against the truth of Jesus Christ, I'm going to drag it. I'm going to make it captive. I'm going to force it to become enslaved to what is true. And that word thought there in the Greek includes the idea of your emotions. Come on, ladies. I can't help it. He made me mad. Nobody has that. You just gave up your authority. Uh, man, I don't let my kids say that. They don't say that in my house. Nobody makes you mad. You chose to respond in anger. <laughs> Come on. You chose to respond in anger because if somebody makes you bad, mad, what you're saying is I'm the tail, not the head. I have been victimized by this person. Now, if I say I chose to respond in anger, although I sinned, at least I'm still the head. (laughs) At least I still have ownership. And I'm not a victim to that circumstance or to that person. Okay, so three was decide what you want to do with it. Number four is very important. You ready? Declare truth over it. Uh, Those I teach every day, and I tell my students, if you can learn how to, to conquer these four steps, you have learned how to walk in victory over your thoughts and over your emotions. Uh, You've got to practice it. You've got to practice it. And the reason why I want you to practice that is because it is the, the single step to learning how to break out of whatever is keeping you from rising up. Because I about guarantee you, it ain't the devil anymore. I about guarantee you, it's your own choices and you've already settled in what the devil spoke to you 15 years ago. He's not speaking in your ear anymore. It's you speaking in your ear. Sometimes we are, we are, we are our own worst enemy. We are our own worst enemy. Let's break down this word arise. What does it mean? What is God saying here? I love the definition of arise. We were talking about this. Arise means, you guys think it means to rise up, right? It does mean that, but it means so much more. Arise means to become powerful, to become powerful, to be established, to be confirmed. Listen to this, to be fixed. I would like to propose that I am very stubborn in the natural and lo and behold, it has become my greatest strength in the spirit. I will not be moved. I am so tenacious. And for years I was told it was a rebellious spirit and it was a stubborn spirit and it needed to be settled down, quieted and managed. Come on. I'm just telling you what people told me in the church. Sit down back in that boat and be quiet. Or maybe a little bit more passive of a message that says, well, if it's the Lord's will. Like we have no part in playing of the manifestation of what God has already established in our lives. To be fixed. To give effect. Now listen to this. 
and to come onto the scene. We talked about how somebody was saying something about sometimes when the enemy ain't messing with you, well, you haven't come onto the scene. When you come onto the scene, the minute your feet hit the floor, the enemy should be like, "Uh uh-oh, she's up. That's right. Look out. Look out. But figuratively, it means to come into yourself. Who you've already been. There is an establishment. Everybody say with me, there is an establishment in my life. And I just need to step into it. I just need to step into it. It's already done. I'm not talking to you about working for something here. I'm talking to you about relaxing and let it happen. Just rest and receive. Cannot tell you how many times I give that assignment and they're like, you want me to what? Okay, so how do I do that? You don't do it. I mean, you, it's not something you do. You just sit. I want, I'm telling you, I have given this assignment. Here's your assignment for the week. Y'all are going to be like, this is so weird. Actually, I have weirder assignments than this one. I want you to lay flat on your back. And sometimes I will ask them to do it naked. I want you to lay flat on your back, totally exposed. Yeah, it sounds weird, doesn't it? But think about how intimate this could be. Okay. Lay flat on your back. I want you to put your hands up, head up. And just lay there and do nothing, but be aware of the presence of God. I don't want you to speak to him. Don't even necessarily pray, pray to him. I don't, and I tell, I tell him now there's going to be some battling going. Your mind's going to be like, oh gosh, you're going to be thinking about the, the dusties or your cat's going to be nipping at your toes or whatever. Get somewhere where you're going to be undistracted and just lay there and practice being still and vulnerable. I'm not going to navigate my time with God. Can I tell you, sometimes we hide from God by navigating it. We become like David who put the ark of the Lord on a cart and tried to navigate worship. It's a very, very tricky thing. These guys do a really good job ushering in but not navigating and deciding where the Holy Spirit gets to go. It's a very tricky thing because that whole passage is all about worship, ushering in the presence of the Lord. And how there is a way you can do it that is like, I'm going to design what worship looks like today. Instead of saying, hey, we're going to prepare the place. We're going to sacrifice. We're going to lay ourselves down. And we're going we're gonna to do it God's way. We're going to do it God's way. And so that's a vulnerable assignment when we just lay in the presence of God and allow him to have his way with you. That was a, the first time I ever spoke in tongues. I was laying in my bed. And I finally had just kind of decided, okay, because somebody kept just going, you've already been speaking in tongues. I'm like, no, 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 no. I just kind of sometimes just kind of speak really fast, which I do speak really fast. And so I was like, no, no, no. Sometimes I just get to praising God really fast. And so I'm just really talking really fast and I'm just praising him. And they're like, no, no, no. You've already got the gift of tongues. You just need to release it and let it out. So I was like, okay, God, if this is a real thing, let's do this. Let's do it. So I, uh, so the Lord was like, okay, lay down. Okay. So I lay down and I'm just laying there and, and I literally heard the voice of the Lord say, because I started doing what I do, which is talk. <laughs> and I started praying. Like I, sometimes I'm praying over people and they're like, yes, Lord. And they're telling me what to pray. Have you ever prayed over people like they're like to, and pray about, oh yes. And my son. Oh yes, yes, yes. And my husband. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and I'm like, Shh. be quiet and receive. And so I'm, even sometimes when people are chattering in tongues, I'm like, shh, just shh, shh. And so the Lord was like, shh. And so I just laid there and I really just began to feel this presence that I had never felt before. And, and I'm telling you, y'all have never told this story before, but this is a safe church. It's like, I felt something pushing up from my stomach and I was like, coming up because it was a beautiful feeling. It wasn't like, you know, I've gone through deliverance. That's not so good. That's this feeling too, but in a different way. Uh, (laughs) but it was like this, uh, I mean, just this real feeling, just this rush coming up. And I had to let that happen. I had to relax, have faith and let the Lord have his way with me. And I think a lot of us think we think We're letting the Lord have his way with us, but we're not. And when I give that assignment, there are people that are like, you want to know what? And then they come back and they're like, well, I tried it. 
Don't try it. Do it. Do it. Well, I tried, but it could, I couldn't. No, keep, just keep laying there. Just, it is so difficult. I'm telling you, try it. Do it. And it will be challenging, but God wants to meet you in that place. He wants to be one with you in that. Y'all, that was nowhere in my notes. It was just totally free for you. If I could just be vulnerable. It's talking about we're, we're waiting on God to do what's already been established. We're not sitting back anymore, but we're like, God, release. <laughs> Have you guys ever seen American t- Amer- an American tale? Five old Mouskowitz. That's a classic. We were in the orthodontist the other day and they were playing. I was like, kids, pay attention. This is a classic, you know? And I was like, the best line in it is when she knows she can't speak, say her R. She's like, it's a wowie. We're going to have a wowie. Anyways, I digress from that. But she says in this, one of my favorite line is, we wish the secret weapon. (laughs) And, And that's in a sense. So a lot of times when I'm... You know, God's comical with me when I'm like praying over people and I'll hear that line. We wish the secret weapon because <laughs> we have our own intimate language, you know, because I know what he means when he's saying that. So I'm like, there's a secret weapon inside of you and we all need to we wish it. We wish the secret weapon. And the secret weapon is already established. It's already there. But a lot of times we think we need to work up a weapon. We need to figure it out. You know, the Bible says being anxious for nothing but in everything in prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving of heart, grant your requests before the Lord. And the peace of God that what transcends your understanding. But when we are anxious, is it not true that we try and figure out how to fix it? We try to figure out our schedule, figure out how I'm going to get this done, get better at coordinating my rides. I just need to get up earlier. I just need to stay up later. We try to figure it out, but God says, I've given you an answer. If you would work my word, it would work for you. God says, but in everything in prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving of hearts, See, he's written you the script. And when a doctor writes you a script for an earache, you can take that script home. You can read that script every day. But if you don't fulfill the script, take the pill, put it in your mouth. It ain't going to get rid of your ear infection. It's just not. And a lot of us read the script every day. But then we never go, ooh, that means I should stop and actually engage in Thanksgiving. But no, instead we read it and go, that doesn't work for me because we're not working the word. Remember yesterday I talked about when we read the word, there's an action. There's an invitation being anxious for nothing, but in everything in prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving of a heart, the but is I've got to engage in prayer and thanksgiving. And then I know that God is going to supernaturally reconcile my lack of peace with his peace. You know, reconciliation makes there's, there's, there's an exchange. I'm going to exchange my anxiety for his peace. I'm going to pull on the hem of God. God, you say that there's a peace of God that transcends my understanding. So I'm going to shut my mind down. I'm going to engage in what you tell me to do. And I'm going to release the secret weapon. That's what I'm talking about. That's what the word tells us. If we would work the word, it would work for you. People ask me all the time, oh, I wish I had all the anointing that you have. You do. Release it. Step into it. Come into who you are, who you've always been. The Bible says in 2 Peter 1, 2 through 4, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as his divine power has given to us all things. Everybody say all things. What does all things not include? Nothing. Nothing whose divine power has given to us. Everybody say to me, I have been given power. I have been given power in all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by what his glory and his virtue by which have been given to us. Did I work for it? Did I earn it? Did I deserve it? But am I designed for it? Come on. 
There's a difference between what you deserve and what you've been designed, designed for. Has been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be a partaker, a partaker, a sharer of his divine nature. What is his divine nature? His glory. The very person of God, you are a partaker of his divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world. Praise be to God. There's an establishment. There's an establishment that's been done in your life. It is not a variable. You are the only variable. You hold the power. You hold the authority to decide, how am I going to live the next hour of my life? How am I going to respond in this conversation? Who do I get to be to this person who's being ugly in this moment? You have the power to choose. I get to speak to teenagers all over the, all over the United States, speaking a lot in educational arenas. So I can't really talk about the Bible. I talk about the Bible. I just don't say where it's coming from. And I tell them, you've been given a superpower. And the superpower that you've been given is the power of choice. And every choice you make today is either an asset or a liability to who you will be tomorrow. Come on, that's, that's a word. That's the, that's the authority that God has given to us. Every relationship you have is either a liability or an asset to who you're becoming in Christ. Every choice we have navigates my future, decides and determines. And when we're choosing according to the divine nature that is already within us, it's so easy because there's already an establishment. When we're not, I tell people all the time, we should be so ingrained in the presence of the Lord that it's more difficult for me to sin than it is for me not to sin. Do you remember when you used to ride a bike and there'd be like a little rivet in the road and you kind of fall, you slip into it and then to try and get out of it is really difficult, right? Or when you're skiing and you're in the wake to get up and over the, that's what it should, we should be like in this, the, you know, I'm in the zone. I'm in the Holy Spirit zone. And it's so difficult for me to come out of it because I'm in it and I'm riding on it and I can't be moved from it. And to sin is difficult because I'm so one with God walking in the spirit. It should be more difficult. It bothers me when people say it's difficult to obey. I understand what you're saying. But the Bible says that the yoke of the Lord is easy. That means to me, to be yoked with God is a good fit. It's beneficial. It's, that's what that word easy means. It means it's a good fit. It's fitting to who I'm becoming. Coming into yourself, knowing who you are. So I want to talk to you a little bit about settling in to this place of ministering to God and to you. And let me finish reading Second Peter. And I think there's some good things that shows this progression that goes on. It says, for this very reason, applying your diligence to the divine promises. Uh, can we just say that? Applying, we're applying our diligent, diligence to the divine promises, making every effort in exercising our faith, developing moral excellence and immoral excellent knowledge and in your knowledge, self-control and in your self-control, steadfast. We're talking about loosing the divine nature of God, being diligent to practice those promises. These are things that already exist. If I take a look at the fruit of the spirit and I say, Ooh, I just need patience. Eh, wrong prayer. You already have patience. You need to wee the secret weapon. It's already, you're welcome. You guys are going to hear this all the time now. You just need to release it. It's already in you. See, I think sometimes we, we pray for things that are already established and the enemy is exhausting us, praying for what's already, instead of saying, this is my truth and I'm not leaving until you bless me. That's what Jacob did when he was wrestling. He wasn't wrestling with the enemy. He was wrestling with an angel of God. He was holding God to his promise and saying, that is my land. And I'm not leaving this spot until you bless me because I know what you've told me is do me. And I'm not leaving until I get it. God, you say there's a fruit of the spirit called patience and I'm not leaving until I come into it. And if if I don't come into it, I'm going to faith it. I'm going to act like it until I become like, become it. 
Well, I just don't think it's right for me not to be genuine to who I am. Bull. That's called, tra- <laughs> that's called working out your salvation. It's called working out your salvation, saying this is not what my flesh is telling me to do, nor is it what I want to do. But by golly, I'm going to trump what's true over my flesh, and I'm going to tell my flesh what it's going to do instead of my flesh telling me what to do. Just because I don't feel like forgiving somebody doesn't give me the right to not forgive them. Come on. You have the power to choose. So if I'm angry and bitter and unforgiveness, but it's not my fault, it's everybody else's fault. No, you've just made yourself the tail and not the head. We're talking about empowering you, giving you the confidence and the courage to know this is already established. This is already established. It goes on and it says, for as these qualities are yours, they're already yours. Y'all, I'm not making this up. This is what scripture says. I'm not that smart. It says, as these qualities are already yours and, and are increasing. Come on. They're increasing. Oh, 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 that means I should have more forgiveness tomorrow than I had for today. That means the love that was welling up in my heart today is going to expand in my tomorrow. That means the likeness that you see in me today, tomorrow morning, it's going to be stronger. Come on. I expect that because the kingdom of heaven is on the increase. It is ever growing. It is ever expanding because to not grow is to be dead. To not grow is to be dead. There is no alternative there. It goes on and it says... These qualities are yours and are increasing in you, and they will keep you from being useless and unproductive. Come, oh, no, oh, oh, now we're touching some nerves. Because who in this room doesn't struggle with feeling useless, unproductive, a little bit like a gerbil on a wheel? I I keep doing, I keep doing the laundry. I keep doing the laundry. I just keep trying. I keep trying to do all these things right. And I don't see, I feel useless. I feel unproductive. When God says everything I set my hand to is going to produce fruit. Every place I set my foot, he's going to give me authority. See, there's a reality and then there's a truth. The question is, which one are you declaring? Which one are you agreeing with? Because whatever you agree with now begins to design your paradigm. See, your core belief predetermines everything you're going to perceive. I'm going to say that again. What you already believe. If I already believe in my heart, I am rejected. I am not loved. I don't hold value. Everything I encounter, the way somebody looks at me, the way someone responds to me, I've already predetermined I'm rejected by that person. It is, I'm going to perceive rejection. And my perception then becomes my perspective, my point of view. And everybody knows my point of view is always right. And my core belief, which we call your BS, your belief system, your core beliefs predetermine how you perceive, then becomes your perspective, what you see, okay, and then forms your paradigm, what I live. And my paradigm then just confirms, told you, I'm rejected, and this is how we live our life. It's exactly how it works. That's the book I'm writing right now. And we have to come back here and say, am I anchored? In the foundation of Jesus Christ. What does the glory of the Lord tell me? Am I loved or unloved? Am I rejected? Accepted. But I don't feel accepted, Patrice. No, you don't see, you didn't see the way he looked at me. He really did reject me. Legit reality. But it's not my truth. It's not my truth. See, the enemy wants to use everything around me to define my core beliefs. But God says your core beliefs get to predetermine your reality. That's what the woman with the issue of blood did. She totally decided, based on her belief, I'm going to be healed. She predetermined her paradigm before she even touched Jesus. I tell people all the time, you've already decided what kind of encounter you're going to have with Jesus based on what you believe about him. 
When people come to the altar, based on what they believe, they've already predetermined what kind of encounter they will have. Too often, they put limits because they've already decided based on their knowledge instead of based on truth. Based on their experience instead of based on truth. Listen, your knowledge, your system, your experience does not always equal truth. It does equal your reality, but it does not equal your truth. So let me, let me close with this. I want to talk to you about the breaking off of the shadows, barriers that keep the glory of the Lord from what, what's keeping us from just, I mean, just that transfiguration from just illuminating the world, being a part of just the glory of the Lord resonating out across the world. Listen to me, the world, the devil, and your flesh will all transpire against you. They will transpire against you to trip you up in your relationship with God. Now, listen, I'm telling you this because a lot of times we'll try and figure, I don't know if it's my flesh or if it's the devil. It doesn't matter. What matters is you have the authority to change it. I don't know if it's because of my past or because of, it doesn't matter. And we're not here to go on a devil hunt. We're here to know what the treasure is, apply the treasure, and walk in the treasure. The world is your system. It's what the world says. The perceptions and the opinions of those around you, it is the voice of the world. That voice that people speak all day long. Women, we are so victimized by this. I tell people all the time, when I, when I was young, all I ever wanted to do was have a baby. Like, I just, I was like, I cannot wait to be a mother. I loved kids all growing up. I just want to be a mom. And then I had one. And he never quit crying. And I had postpartum depression so badly, I literally had visuals of, of hurting this child. I'm just going to be honest with you. Because I had postpartum so badly. And what I knew of being a mom is the magazines of this sweet mom sitting in a white gown in a nursery that was clean. She clearly had had a shower because her hair was all fresh. And the baby was sleeping, not crying. And that was not my reality. That was not my reality. See, I was deceived by the world. And so when I came into a reality that was counterintuitive with the world, I didn't know how to handle it. I didn't have a truth to apply to that situation. And the world has a voice that it speaks over us. And when we fall short, so here's the deal. When I fell short of what the world told me, this is what it looks like to be a good mother. I struggled with feeling Lack of like a failure. I was rejecting myself. I was attacking myself. I was falling short of what the world said. This is what every other mother's newborn baby looks like. What's wrong with you? Why isn't your house clean? Why didn't you brush your teeth? My golly, you can't even get rid of your baby belly. Look at her. She's already a size two again. This is the face of the world, the message of the world, impounding upon us saying, this is what it looks like to be a woman. Listen, I've, I've wrestled with that even in the workforce. Women think to be a strong woman in business, I have to look like a man. And I need to act like a man. And I have asked the Lord for five years, show me what it looks like to be a strong woman with femininity. And still love my curves. And the curviness in the way I behave and that my emotions are more flexible than a man's. Come on. Even our physical body is a manifestation of the beauty of our creation. But instead of saying, this is what it looks like for me to be a confident woman. I think to be a confident woman, I have to look like a man because that's what the world has told us. This is what it looks like to be a leader. You can't cry in a meeting. Uh, I can. Yeah, I sure can. And sometimes my staff receive the most when I get the most vulnerable. When they see my heart is broken for the people we're ministering to. And I don't know how to fix the situation. And all I know here, I know as a leader, I should have the answers. I should have the strategies. You're coming to me for a solution and I don't have one. And I've learned that sometimes in my vulnerability, it is the greatest strength 
that I have because people feel safe to connect with me. Am I, okay, look at these girls are like, "Mm mm-hmm, yep, mm mm-hmm. Yeah, she's seen me cry before. (laughs) And I'm just like, there are times I don't know. And to be a strong leader doesn't mean I have to put on this front and put on this mask. But that's what the world would tell me. So the world is sending us all kinds of messages. Oh, if you were a good mother, Johnny wouldn't be on drugs. Really because Eli's kids weren't so great. (laughs) I'm holding on to that one. Eli's sons weren't so great. So, you know, and so, so the world gives us a message. Listen, the devil, he is a liar. We know he's a liar. He will keep you stuck and he will keep you trapped in lies. He will keep you speaking or spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning. We're talking about the voice of the enemy, but then there's the voice inside of our own heads. There's the voice of our flesh, the voice of our emotions, the voice of my thoughts, of my own reasoning. We were studying in uh, John chapter 10 with Lazarus. Is that chapter 10? 11. Chapter 11 with Lazarus. When, when Jesus is like, I need to go back. And all of the people, his disciples were like, no, 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 no. They're going to kill you. They're going to stone you. They're going to, and they're trying to basic. That's the voice of reasoning. Oh, let's think this through Jesus. Doesn't make sense. It's not probably. See, that's the voice of fear. The voice of they play the part of the voice in our head when we know God is saying, I know this doesn't make sense and I know it's a risk and I know it could cause sacrifice, but you need to go back and resurrect Lazarus from the dead. But the voices around him were like, "Mm, that's where they want to stone you. I don't think you should go back there. That's the voice of reasoning, the voice of fear, all of those voices in our head. And I'm going to throw in here your past is going to be one of your biggest shadows, one of the biggest barriers that you need to break off. When God says yesterday is gone, yesterday is gone. And the only thing that carries over is the strength that you gained from yesterday. That's what carries over. But can I tell you, a lot of times people will say to me, my past just holds on to me. No, baby, you're holding on to your past. Because when Jesus went to the man who had been on a mat for 38 years, he said, you get up, you pick that mat up, and you walk. And sometimes we say our mat is holding us down, but the reality is we're holding it down. Come on, that's a good word. And sometimes we think my past has a hold of me, but the reality is, is God says old things have passed away. And if it's still got a hold on you, it's because you're still holding on it and you've allowed it to form who you are, mold your personality. There's a passage in Isaiah that says we hold on to this lie in our hand and we can no longer even recognize it. We can no longer even say, isn't this thing in my hand a lie? Because we've held on to that wound for so long, and now I respond to men in a weird way because of the wound that I have. Or I respond to authority in a weird way because of the wound I have. Or I respond to public in a weird way because... And so we allow our personality to be molded around a a mistruth. Instead of saying, God not only rewrites my future, he rewrites my past. I'm just giving you really practical things that I see on a daily basis. Because it's one thing for me to be like, yay, we all need to just rise up. Come on, let's just get practical. We all know that. Everybody already knew that before. I'm not telling you anything you didn't know. As a woman, I need to rise up. Thanks. Now I just feel more like a loser. Because for years, that's what I did. I was a new mom and I went to all these Bible studies thinking it would fix my life. And all it did was illuminate where I was falling short because everybody else's kids had shoes that matched and mine didn't have shoes at all. I couldn't find them. And and I just, honestly, I felt not encouraged, not empowered, but I felt convicted a lot of times by the messages I would get from a pulpit. And this message isn't about We got to arise. What's wrong with you? Rise up. It's about empowering you and saying, listen, ladies, you hold the power. Rise up and step into the power. Decide today. Decide today. Decide today. My yesterday has no hold on me. 
I am choosing what my tomorrow will look like. No excuses. But one of the things we say to them is you come in and we hear your story. And and their story legit sucks. Yeah, okay. But I also have no time and it does not help them if I feel sorry for them. And I say, okay, we've heard your story. We have explanation for why you are where you are at. But from this day forward, it will not be your excuse. Because for me to allow that to become your excuse is not to love you. And so there will be days you don't feel like I've heard you or I've connected with you or that I care about where you've been. And that is not true. It's that I love you enough to say this is where you're going. Write a sad poem in your journal and move on. Let's go. So I'm not negating the reality of some of the things that have taken place in their life. But what I am saying is there's a greater reality of greater things to come. And if we'll take our eye off what has been, we'll get our eye on what is coming. And that's where we will move toward. That's what I'm saying. And it's the same for all of us in here. I could probably sit here and listen to story after story after story. And I'll hear the same spirit over and over and over again. It'll be the same spirit. There ain't nothing new under the heaven. Nothing. Nothing new. When I'm teaching people how to flow in the prophetic or healing, I will say, name for me the top five spirits that you deal with on a regular basis. Anybody want to name number one? Fear. Number two? Depression is is definitely one of the top five. Come on, what what do you think are the top five? Anger, rejection, yes. Fear, depression, anxiety, yes. Those are typically the top five for women. For men, you can throw pride in there, which is fear. Okay? So the point is, is, is it's all the same spirit. See, the enemy is so dumb, he can't come up with new tricks. But can I say this? He doesn't have to because we keep falling for the same ones. You know, <laughs> help us, Lord. And see, the Lord is like, I did. I gave you the Holy Spirit. Come on. I gave you everything I got. Step into it. Come into who you are. The Bible says, as he thinks within himself, so he is. The power of what you think, what you decide, what you predetermine. Come on, that's kind of a powerful thought. I get to predetermine how every meeting I step into is going to go. Now, reality, do I know how it's going to go? No. But I've already predetermined that I'm going to be just as loved by God when I walk out of that meeting as when I walk in that meeting. So it doesn't matter if I'm rejected by the people in the meeting. It doesn't matter if I'm dismissed. It doesn't matter if they agree with me or they don't agree with me because it doesn't change who I am. And I predetermine that, especially if I'm going into a meeting that I'm intimidated by, which happens. Yes, I get intimidated. Surprise. But I faith it because I won't ever overcome being intimidated if I never put myself in a position where I get to overcome being intimidated. But a lot of us, instead of standing firm against the enemy, we flee from the enemy. Scripture says you flee from sin, but you stand firm against the devil. That's that stubbornness that's become my great strength. So now I get irritated. We went to a place uh, last week. We were at the Cleburne uh, Rotary Fish Fry, and they had these big snakes. And I was like, dang it. And Brad was like, what? And I'm like, oh, I hate snakes, and I am so afraid of them. Now I have to hold one. And he was like, no, you don't. And I was like, yes, I do. Because when I start to fear, because I know fear is my greatest kryptonite in the flesh. So when I sense fear, I'm like, I'm going after it. I'm going to overcome it. Just prophetically, I'm going to handle that serpent. Come on. I'm going to do it. And I did. Big one. (laughs) And I was like, I'm going to overcome this. But I was attacking that. Going after it instead of fleeing from it. Instead of fleeing from it. As a man thinks, thinks within himself, so is he. To think, to split open, to reason out, to calculate. But listen, the word to think there figuratively means to act as a gatekeeper. Meaning my thoughts are a gatekeeper of what comes in and out. What do I choose to allow in my mind or out of my mind? I want us to think about, as I'm closing, the woman at the well and how she came in and when she met Jesus, there was a definite paradigm in her life. There was a definite establishment as far as what the world has spoken over her. She was a rejected woman. 
Okay, you understand that when the Bible says they have this conversation, I love that Jesus goes for the jugular. You know, her most intimate spot, like I'm here to avoid seeing people because everybody knows who I am. And you're going to actually ask that question, where's my husband, you know, or go home and tell your husband. So he's, so he's actually exposing, he's touching her in her most vulnerable spot. Why? Why? Because he wants to connect with her. For the point of connection, her most vulnerable, her most deepest spot of her deepest spot of shame. And he wants to connect with her in that place. That is the very reason why she's going to the well at noon. She doesn't want to be seen by people. And when Jesus says, you've been married five times and the man you're now living with isn't your husband. The world, even the Bible in a lot of ways, even people have preached that she was a prostitute. I don't know if she was or she wasn't. But what I do know is according to the law at that time, only a man could marry or divorce. So I would like to propose what we had here was a very rejected, unloved woman. Who was so ashamed, so unloved, she wouldn't go to the well at dawn or at dusk when anybody else went. She went when nobody would see her. But she had an encounter with a love that she knew not of. The longest conversation recorded in all of scripture between Jesus and this woman as he begins to expose and open her deepest wound, her hardest hurt, and he connects with her in that place. And she comes in contact with the glory and a light that she's never had before. And the automatic outcome is she goes back. The first evangelist in the scriptures is a woman. She goes back into the town of Samaria, stands and boasts, and not only lets herself be seen, but then begins to proclaim everything she's ever done. Something changed. There was a change in her core belief about who she believed she was that forced a change in her paradigm. That's taking authority. It started here in the gatekeeper. I'm changing my mind about what you all say about me, about what my reality has been, about what men have spoken to me, about my circumstances and my experiences and my relationships. I'm changing my mind because God says there's a love that is due me. And I'm going to walk in it. I'm going to rise up. I'm coming into it. I'm coming onto the scene. And it may not change the way you see me, but it doesn't matter anymore because I've met a love and I don't need your love. I don't need your perception. I don't need your opinion. I don't need your perspective because I've got the opinion of the kingdom. And it's my secret weapon. It's my secret weapon. See, her change in her belief, in her mind and in her heart, literally enforced a change around her. You teach and train people how to treat you based on how you treat yourself in your own mind, how you feel about yourself in your own heart. You will teach and train people to victimize you. When you cry out, I am weak and I need your help. You follow what I'm saying? So what I want to hear, want you to hear me saying is, arise, because there is an establishment that has already been done. Just release it. Release it. Believe it. Step into it. And become the change you want to be. In Jesus' name. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus, and we just thank you, Lord. We thank you, Father, that there is an establishment in our life, and it's not something we have to strive for, work for, but it is done. And not only is it done, it's increasing. So I pray right now in Jesus' name, God, not only that there would be a deep, deep knowing in our knower, but, God, we would feel the welling up inside. God, just as that day when you just, ugh, you just pushed yourself up and you released yourself up out of me, God, I'm praying for that supernatural release even right now in Jesus' name. God, would you do it? Would you show us how easy it is to just yoke ourselves with you? That you'll do it all, God, if we would just surrender our lives to you. If we would just lay our lives and stand naked before you, God, letting you to see all of our yuckiness and all of our, ugh. 
God, you're not bothered by it, God. You're not bothered by the stench of Lazarus when he was in the tomb. There's nothing that bothers you. God, you already know it. You're already familiar with all of our ways. And so, God, we just come before you, and we just, whew, we just release all the thoughts that we have been holding on to. God, we know that the anointing oil has shattered every yoke that has been across our back. So any yoke that's on your back is a yoke that you have chosen to hold on to. See, all of that was shattered on the cross. Deliverance 100% took place on the cross. So any deliverance from here on forward is for you to deliver. That means I'm going to let go of it. See, when I was in labor, I had to deliver the baby. I had to push that baby out. And there's, there's some deliverance that needs to take place in this room. But you need to know that God has already freed you from that place. You're delivering from the side of freedom. You're delivering because of deliverance. Does that make sense? So, God, we just thank you, God, that, that it's already here. So we just, we just want to let all those things go. Just, just stand up, shake your hands, wiggle your body, shake your body. Whatever you need to do to just shake it off. Whatever's holding you back, whatever's keeping you stiff, whatever's keeping you rigid, whatever it's, whatever's making you feel trapped. God, it's just so freeing to just, ah, uh, just shake it out. Just move it out. Father, we just thank you. Thank you for tuning in to my podcast, Enforcing Purpose with Lisa Schwartz. For more information or to keep up on current events and products, please go to my website at www.lisa-schwartz.com. 